How you doing, darling? I'm fantastic. Now that I see your beautiful face, as always. Likewise. How are you? How have you been? I am. I'm nursing a cold, and that happens to us mere mortals sometimes. It's yes. a fucking bummer. Yes. But I'm here. I'm on the mend, and here to talk about some shit. Yeah. Boot and rally. Boom. Cold wasn't going to keep you down. Please. Goddamn fucking right. We have fucking ghost stories and horrible crimes to talk about. Absolutely right. Thank you. Have you seen anything this week? I have been just kind of like keeping up with things. Uh, so I've been watching the new season of Survivor. Of course. Obviously. Of course. Which is <laughs> which is very weird. I'm not going to lie. Anyone who Why? Is, they're like just doing a lot of weird things now. And like Jeff is being really weird. Like I don't is know what the host? Jeff is. Yeah. Jeff Probst okay. is the host. I don't know what he's going through, but like. He's gone through something. One, they're breaking the fourth wall now. They talk to you, which is like very disorienting. Wait, like aside from a confessional type of thing? He breaks the fourth wall, the host, which he's never done before. It is the weirdest thing I have ever. There's so what? many weird things. I can't even get started on it. I'm not going to, I won't bore you with the details. I've also <laughs> been watching The Great British Bake Off, which is airing on Netflix right now, which Boom. I love so much. And it's just one of those like, feel good shows i just get to watch people yeah. like bake things and then like root for <laughs> each other and be really like loving and supportive and i just oh i love it I've ne- i need that in my life yeah for sure what have you been watching though darling do you have any good recommendations for me i know i have like a million things to finish and i'm like a terrible person <laughs> so stop <laughs> on, on the hierarchy I'm of slacker. terribleness slacker with my... you not finishing like midnight mass is like pretty fucking low <laughs> It fe- I feel really bad about it. It Hot feels take. like a personal. <laughs> I don't know why it feels like a personal offense to you a little bit. I feel like very guilty. No, for not it. at all. Not at all. I mean, I just I like if when you finish watching it, I would love to talk to you about it. But like, I know you have 10,000 fucking things to do. 4,000 of them have to do with this podcast. So <laughs> it's all good. Oh. Um, I did finish um impeachment oh shit how was that i think it's okay okay um the the performances i think are great especially from the women i know sarah paulson got a lot of shit for wearing a fat suit uh as linda Tripp, but that being said she's really amazing okay I was However, gonna say, usually i enjoy her she's usually she's like, she's fucking, fucking great spot on yeah she's great she's amazing like to the point that linda Tripp's daughter was like holy shit it was like seeing my mom wow and that i want to like hug the shit out of her what a compliment shit and that you know that it was kind of like the first like kind of honest and true portrayal of linda Tripp that she'd seen because she was villainized you know with the whole situation yeah totally mvp though Edie fucking falco queen really Edie fucking falco plays hillary clinton and in the first seven episodes she's like maybe has like four minutes of screen time collectively in the first seven minutes and the thing is at uh, the first seven episodes rather and you're like okay there's no way they're paying an Edie falco price to not use her yeah it's coming episode eight. if you don't watch any of impeachment episode eight very like all of it but if you're like on a time crunch the last 13 minutes are so fucking incredible she's so fucking good holy fuck i like can't breathe really so good so good 
Okay. I've seen it like 10 times. I've seen the last 13 minutes like 10 times because it's like just incredible. I'm so intrigued. I've been wanting to watch this because honestly, I love um, the girl who got cast as uh, Beanie. Yeah. Feldstein. Feldstein. Yes. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Yeah. She's fucking fantastic. She's from yeah, she's What great. We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, of course. Fucking kills Little me. baby turkey. Yes. Yes. How was she? How was she in it? She's great. Um, uh, Annalie Ashford plays uh, Paula Jones and she's fucking great. It, it's it's very much the, the series is told basically from the perspective of the women and like how this affected them. I like that. Interesting. Yeah. And the thing is, like, if you... If you do want to take my recommendation of like kind of, you know, I think it's worth it. It's fine. I don't think it's it's the best Ryan Murphy outing. Um, okay. Because he tends to always have like a strong start. And then the second one's like, okay, that's still very good. And then the third season's usually like, mm. yeah, that's very true. But the, I guess, plus of this is that if you do want to do, like, if you just wanted to watch the eighth episode to see Edie Falco fucking... I do tear some shit up. You don't need any context because everyone knows everything. I'm not gonna be like, who are these people? What's happening? You're not gonna be like, who? Bill had an affair. Like, you know, like (laughs) stop the presses. (laughs) What? How am I just now finding out about this? I hope the Titanic's gonna be okay. (laughs) Um, You know, (laughs) Uh, the entire episode, but especially the last 13 minutes, are like just a fucking work of art and gorgeous and just you aspire to be that good as a performer so good that sounds amazing yeah Mm. that's my my wreck of the week i mean she's phenomenal in everything i literally she's not done anything bad i think in her whole career that i've known and i just saw um yesterday that she's doing a show in the city oh like a live performance yeah play uh do you know what the play was or Broadway nope, or totally no? Totally blanking on off? it. Uh, no, it's it's off. I think it's like City Center or Encores. Huh. Uh, it's her and Miriam Ireland. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, she was in she's in Sneaky Pete. I didn't watch that. My mom watched that. I saw the first season. It's fucking great. But yeah, they're doing a show together. So I'm like, fuck, I need to figure this shit out. Figure yeah. Out so I could see Queen Edie. Edie Faco in person. Yeah. I met her once years ago. What? Uh, Shut the fuck yeah. up. I love how you just, like, buried the lead with that. <laughs> Let me just slip this uh, in at the end. I worked this event um, uh, when she was doing Nurse Jackie. There was oh, this event. Love that That show. it was, like, instead of the X Games, it was the RX Games. <gasps> where nurses and doctors would sign up and compete for, like, charities of their choice. And she was there. And uh, so I got to meet her. And she's just so nice. So beautiful. So gracious. Just everything you want a celebrity to be. That's so heartwarming and lovely. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. When you said RX Games, I was like, they just like, you like have to just take mystery pills and like do these like obstacle (laughs) courses. That's wild. That does not seem safe. No, this is not like in like (laughs) fucking Portland or some shit. I was like, this this was a very um, intense theme for this party. They really took the Nurse Jackie thing seriously. Shit. Definitely not. (laughs) Yeah, that's a liability waiting to happen, I know. Oh, absolutely. No. Yeah, that that event could not be insured if that was the case. <laughs> that's what you call non-union. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. What yeah. else have you been watching? What else have you been doing? That's it, man. 
That's it? pretty lame. No, yeah. you're totally fine. Oh, I think, um, I don't know if I announced it on the show, but I did read that uh, Mike Flanagan's of uh, uh, Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor and, of course, Midnight Mass Fames. Yeah. New outing is the fall of the House of Usher. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be so fucking good, dude. It's going to be so fucking good. I can't handle my life about it. I'm, like, kind of speechless, actually. Like, that's such yeah. a good fucking pairing. <gasps> yeah. I'm so excited about it. Is it in production? Is it just, like, he got the green light? Like, the, is it going to be, like, I, years before so, we do this? So, basically, what happened was... Okay, tell me what happened. I I have one of my... I have, like, 47 different types of search engines. I don't know why, but <laughs> I just do. Are you still using Ask Jeeves? Stop it, Monique. <laughs> Yes. Stop. I have an internet butler search shit for me. Because <laughs> I'm bougie <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> I have that standards. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and in one of these search engines, it like underneath the, the search bar, like if you scroll down, there's a bunch of like suggested articles. Oh, okay. So one of the articles was Midnight Mass season two, everything we know. And I was like, wait, what? What? So then I looked it up and it was like, it was very clickbaity because it was like, I mean, there's probably not going to be one. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is the point of this goddamn article? But in the article, they're like, oh, but one of the billions of reasons why there's probably not going to be a season two Midnight Mass is because he's already announced that his next project for Netflix is Fall of the House of Usher. And I was like, what okay. the fuck? <gasps> so it's very exciting. That is super exciting. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, if it comes out next year, my life will be made. That's yeah, it. that's all yeah. I need. I think a year I'm a is simple a... person. <laughs> I'm not asking for much. I think a year is reasonable. I think so. I think like maybe two at the most is what we'll probably be yeah. subjected to. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. assuming that maybe they were they started filming this year. Maybe I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know what their production schedule is. I don't know. This was me assuming that they had not even started filming yet. That it had just been announced. Me too. But it could also not be the case. That's true. But it is very exciting. Super exciting. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Also super noteworthy fun thing is that we got to meet Mo of Game of Moe's. Yeah. In the flesh. Fuck yeah, we did. Live and in person. It was so exciting. She was fucking amazing. I had such a great time yeah. with her. Oh my God. It was the best. And timing worked out perfectly. We literally like all convened in one like massive At the exact group same hug. time. Yeah. At the exact same time. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah. So... Hey, girl, it was so nice to meet you uh, outside of the gram. Yeah, fuck yeah. Come back and visit us anytime. Yeah, for it's sure. Lovely. It's like, I hope you like your little your little bag. I made her a little, little stash bag. Little stash bag. Cute. Because Amy's very crafty and made Mo, me and Mo, sta- both of the Mo's. Both of the Mo's. Stash bags. Got little stash bags made with the same fabric that the tote bag was made from. Oh, right. The winner, the winner yeah, of the tote bag. Yeah, yeah. Which was Angie. Angie. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. I feel like it's been a See hot you. minute since we, yeah. Right? Gotta show the love. Yeah. It's nice. You know, real moment, time out. Thank you guys so much for all the love you guys show us. You have no idea. For real. How wonderful it is to get your messages. And it's just, especially like sometimes like we're going through like a shit day and it's like, what the fuck? And then we just get like a lovely message from you and it truly like turns around our day. A hundred percent. We just love you so much. Yes. Just a little appreciation corner. Ditto, second that, 100 fucking percent. (laughs) All of that is so true. And like the fact that you guys like want to meet us in person and like come hang out with us, like 
It just it sends me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Be still it's, my heart. I can't handle it. For sure. Because to, you know, Amy and I discuss this all the time. We're just like some rando like Rando nobodies. chicks. Yeah. What? We're just Who screaming the fuck are into we? the void about ghosts and aliens and murders. Um, and the fact that kind of anyone is interested <laughs> in this is and, and then wants so to surreal. Us and yeah. We're not buffoons. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And Psychos. <laughs> But we love you guys so much. So much. so much for just being so fucking rad. And yes, fuck yeah. And thank you again, Mo, for like coming to see us literally like right before you had to go to the airport. Like, yes, yes, literally right she before. She was like, I'm not fucking missing this. I'm doing it. I mean, it was looking a little dicey because I'm like, this girl need to leave like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> I know. I know. But I, she made her flight as far as I know. So. I mean, I did see her post on the gram of her being, like, at her seat. So I'm like, okay. Okay. Good. Cool. We're good. Yes. Because I'm like, is one of us going to have to put up Mo? That's fine. Just give I'm me, like, some that. time yeah. to clean up my shit show of an apartment <laughs> because I'm still recording inside my closet. So my shit is everywhere. Aww. <laughs> Hopefully in a couple weeks, fingers crossed, that will no longer be the case. Yay. Okay. We're getting Mo out of the closet. God, I've been yep. living in this closet too long. <laughs> It's weighing on my soul. <laughs> I know. I love I love just seeing all your, like, clothes behind you. It's so and, colorful. And that, like, half of them have, like, skeleton bullshit on it. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, that's the best part, Monique. What are you talking about? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you would have, like, a prop skeleton, like, next to you that you're, like, hanging out with. Like, hey. Dude, all I want is that fucking Home Depot skeleton. That's all I want. <sighs> it's all I want. That would be amazing. I'm a, I'm a simple girl. <laughs> Someone want diamonds and jewelry? I want the fucking Home Depot skeleton. That's it. I can just imagine walking into your like tiny New York apartment with this like giant skeleton just like perched in the corner. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my God. That would make my fucking life. (laughs) All right. Noted. Next birthday. It's the most exciting thing. When that thing shows up in your fucking, (laughs) (laughs) your apartment, I warned you. My doorman will be like, because I get a lot of packages. I I do a lot of, um. The Amazon buying. And I'm one of those people that... Jeffrey Bezos. He gets you. Jeffrey Bezos. Uh, I, I do... Uh, I, I'm one of those that... The size chart doesn't, like, apply to me. Like, if I go <laughs> off of my actual size, like, it'll be, like, four sizes too big. So yeah. I'm just going to have to buy, like, seven sizes of everything and then try it on and return stuff, you know, what, what doesn't fit. So I get a lot of packages because of that. Like I'll get like 10 packages to buy like one thing. <laughs> but my doorman will be like, if if I got the Home Depot skeleton shipped to me, which is 12 feet tall. Yeah. My doorman would be like, they dude, probably literally fold it in what half. the fuck? Maybe. So six feet. So six feet. Yeah. It's still substantial. Oh, it's big. Yeah. He's going to be like, you have That's a That's what package. she said. Hey, yeah. hey, um, She never said that. She never <laughs> says that. Damn, burn. Savage, Monique. Hey, man. This NyQuil's got me feeling savage. What can I say? We have NyQuil, Monique? Fuck yeah. Here's the, th- the DayQuil doesn't do shit for me. Really? Nothing. It does nothing. So basically, I have to have d- NyQuil during the day and caffeine myself to stay up. Oh my god, it turns me into such a fucking weirdo that I like kind of stop taking it if I have to like interact with people. I like just pop basically like four Advil and like maybe some sinus medicine. But usually I try to avoid all of it because I get turned into such I don't know, I'm like like loopy almost. Yeah. Well that's the intended effect. It's to make you to go to the fuck to sleep. 
Well, no, no, no. The even the non drowsy shit still does. Still, I don't know. I don't. You're on our just a caveman. (laughs) (laughs) That is like too applicable in like too many situations. I use it all of the time. Okay, I get it. There's like certain things that I use all of the time that no one knows what the fuck I'm talking about, and I will never bend. I'm still using them. Fuck you guys. And it's like, it's it's up to you to figure out what the fuck I'm talking about. One, Your Honor, I'm just a caveman. It's perfect for so many situations. <laughs> and nobody knows what you're talking about. And I, whatever, it's their problem. The other one is in, I think it's Stand By Me. Because there's like two movies about teachers. Okay. That came out around the same time. That, one was Stand and Deliver and one was Stand By Me. Oh, I think God. Stand By Me was the Morgan Freeman one. Okay. That he's this, like, tough, like, principal who comes in and, you know, the school that's completely fucking failing and he's, like, no nonsense and he's gonna fucking write this shit and there's, like, all these drugs and all this bullshit happening. He's like, fuck this, I'm not doing this anymore and I'm gonna, like, turn this shit around and somebody needs to give a shit about these kids. His name's Mr. Clark. He's based on a real dude. And basically, I guess, like, the superintendent, like, doesn't like that he's, like, ruffling feathers and shit. And one of the things he does is he locks the emergency exits because that's how drug dealers are coming in to sell drugs to kids in the school but the thing is like you can't lock an emergency exit because like that's That's dangerous like that's dangerous as fuck so they find out about and they're trying to get rid of this dude and they find out about this like cool this is our our in fuck this guy and they arrest him and they they put him in county for the night and like the entire school like like goes outside they're like protesting like free mr clark and then it's like the superintendent or something goes, and it's War- and this is Morgan Freeman, who's like fucking, oh, I mean, I don't even tell you, you fucking know Morgan Freeman. He's amazing. So they're like, Joe, you have to go outside and talk to him. And he says, I don't have to do anything but stay black and die, which is the best oh. line in the history of cinema. So I say that as a non-black person all of the time. <laughs> And no one knows what the fuck I'm talking about. And I'm sure everyone is really confused. Yeah. They're really confused. But the line is so good, I'm not going to stop saying it. it. Yeah, I support that. So it's just a way to continue to alienate people. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Fuck them. Fuck them. There you go. You don't need them in your life. It's a great movie. I think it is. I haven't seen it in like 20 years. It might be terrible. I've ever seen it. That does not ring any bells. Ah, it's a great. It it was. It's like the very inspirational, like tough, tough love from a teacher, and you know. Yeah, I'm sure I sobbed through all of it. I, you know, I'm, I'm fucking, sure. Yeah, I don't think I saw either of those movies. Both of them, that you yeah, because it was not ring a bell. Edward James Olmos. I want to oh. say was the other one. Okay, I think that was Stand and Deliver because it was there was like a series of these movies like before like Dangerous Minds came out because that was like the big one. Like yeah, okay, five to seven years later, but there were a bunch of them beforehand. If anyone has seen Stand by Me, please let me know. I don't want to feel that alone. <laughs> I'm so, I'm making Monique feel so alone right now. I mean, you, you don't have to <laughs> do anything for me Amy? to feel alone, Amy. No! I do that all by my own. <laughs> I'm here for you. I know. I'm obsessed with you. I love you. I'm obsessed with you. You're my partner in true crime. Facts. 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 You're so amazing. You're doing a little dance. I love it. Just like bopping around. Yeah. It's 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 caffeine and, and drugs, baby. Fuck it. Yeah. Girl, I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> Get- <laughs> on it <laughs> over the counter everyone over, over the counter obviously not even they fucking they make you get the little key to open oh yeah sh- 
I get also carded a lot for Dayquil, which I understand. Or like, really? it's I, uh, it's like I think it's usually for like Sudafed and shit. It's because they use it to make um right like other drugs. Yes. I don't know meth. I think is that right? Maybe. I believe I so. Know. I did get <laughs> I did get carded recently. <laughs> um, I went out with Donna. She took me out for like a birthday thing. Aw. And uh, hey, Donna, I love you. And <laughs> and the guy. Like, he was very friendly, you know, whatever. And then he asked me for my ID. And I literally said, are you serious? (laughs) And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm old as fuck. I'm 37. But I was like, thank you, I guess. Thank you, yeah. No, I literally thought it was just like a, I'm going to make you feel good about yourself. Um, No. And I was like, are you serious? I mean, I yes. am I am at the stage where I'm never opposed. I'm like, oh my god, yes, thank you so much. Of course, Here. I I'm so annoyed by it. I hate it. It's Thinking such, it I'm out, like, I'm old as yeah. fuck. Let just me have my me fucking drink. alcohol. Why are you Why are you doing this to me? I have to go into my huge bag that fits everything, and I can't find anything. I have to go into find another thing ID. in the bag. Yes, that's why the Julie Malo clutch is much better. Compact, true. That's a lot of shit, though. Shout out. There you go. Christmas, Christmas is coming up, you guys. Hanukkah, all the things. That's true. Yeah. The holidays are coming up. Yeah. All right, darling. Do you have some spooky, weird, paranormal shit to, uh, to regale me with? I do. I'm so excited. I am going to be talking about, I don't know. I don't know how I want to, how I want to. How do you want to introduce this? I don't know. I'm going to not introduce it. I'm going to pull an Amy trade in right now. <gasps> Just sources and then dive right in. Side, dive right the fuck Blind in. Side me. And I you love figure it. it the fuck out. I love it. How about that? <gasps> Choose your own adventure. That's how you know it's going to be. That's how you know it's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> so, sources, the lore podcast, which I haven't listened to in a long time, but I really enjoyed it when I did. So, check that out if you haven't. Is that affiliated? Aaron Menke. Oh, okay. I feel like there's uh, a, there was a show, show on, on Amazon. Amazon. Yes. I was yeah. going to ask if that was affiliated with that. Yes, but the podcast is better than the show. show. Yeah. I think I saw the first season of the show and it was fine. Yeah, I think like that was, was like, kind of my feeling about it too. But it the, was also... The podcast is much better. Okay. I had not seen yeah. the podcast. I only watched the show. Yeah. And it's like half hour episodes. Okay. It's I'll have to check that out then. Yeah. Digestible. Cool. Uh, so the lore podcast... Travelchannel.com, MysteriousPeople.com, and Wikipedia.com. Mary Roth was born in Warren County, Indiana, on October 8, 1846, to Dorothy and Asa Roth. When she was just six months old, she had her first, quote-unquote, cataleptic fit, or seizure, as it would be called today. As she grew, the incidents became worse and worse, with some seizures leaving her unconscious for several days in a row. Damn. Yeah, fuck. When Mary was 10, the family moved to the quiet Midwestern town, which would eventually become known as Watsika, Illinois. They built one of the new houses there. The girl's seizures continued to the point where she was having them at least once a day. That's brutal. Yeah, fuck. Fuck. And because it was the mid-1800s, can you imagine having fucking seizures in the 1800s? No. Like, fuck. They don't know what to fucking do. They're going to do some fucking weird shit. Exactly. Yeah. you or something. I don't know. Well, they'll, so they'll beat the seizure out of you I mean, with like pretty, a Bible. Pretty close. I don't know. Is, right? that the, is that the treatment? I mean, it's kind of pretty close, but 
there weren't any seizure treatments, obviously, because it's the fucking mid 1800s. Yeah. So bloodletting oh, was essentially yeah, okay, a cure all. Mm. You know? So that became part of Mary's daily routine. She preferred using leeches to alleviate her pain and even thought of them as pets, which. Nope. Thank you. Barf. Thank you. Um, like this one's Jimmy, and this one's, you know, Jeremiah. They're brothers. You know, I always find it weird when people name pets people names. I I kind of like go both ways on it. Because sometimes if it's just I mean, like, you oh, had Agador my... Spartacus, no? Yeah, but see, like, I like no, that. No, that's and, like, magic. That's a reference. That's yes. wonderful. <sighs> But when but, people were like, George, come here. Yeah. No, I'm or not I like, into that. No, what the fuck? Who, the dog's name was like Chloe. And I was like, this is weird. I don't like that. Right. I mean, yes. my dog was Pixel. So like, I obviously like kind of a weird name. I like weird letters too in them. Yeah. No, I like that. Pixel's great. Um, But like, I also like had a dog named Jack. And like, I think that's a cute name for a dog. And that's kind of a I feel that's that's acceptable. person's name. Yeah. Or like Rex. Some of them are okay. I feel like. My friend named his cat Russell. No, like, what the Ew. Fuck is this? no. Or like when it's like Steve. I feel like I knew a cat named Steve one time, and I was like, "This is fucking weird. Get out of here." Get yeah, out of like here. that's not what it should, no. it should be. Mister Bigglesworth. Yes, that's yes. correct. <laughs> I have no idea what she named the leeches. I'm just saying, if they were people names, I'm not here for it, Mary. Just saying. <laughs> that's the non-fair owner. Fair. Mary's condition went on like this for three years. And while she was understandably depressed with her ailment, Mary was very bright. She was an accomplished pianist who excelled in her studies. In the spring of 1865, in an attempt to escape from depression caused by her health, she slit her wrists. Oh. Yeah. Her parents found her unconscious from blood loss and called a doctor. When Mary eventually regained consciousness, she had fits where she would become so violent that it took five grown men to hold her down in bed to prevent her from hurting herself or anyone else. What? That's crazy. Mary was awake, but unresponsive. She was delirious for five days after which she suddenly became calm and slept for 15 hours without NyQuil. Get it, girl. I know. I was like, Oh my God, that sounds amazing. Actually. That's that's like (laughs) the dream. Literally. She awoke to find bandages covering her eyes to protect them from her unconscious scratching. <gasps> oh. Which, fuck, right? Yeah. But instead of removing the bandages, she discovered that she seemed to be able to see as easily while blindfolded as she had without them. What? Her parents placed an encyclopedia in front of her, and even though she couldn't see the pages, she opened the book to the word blood and proceeded to read the entry word for word out loud my jaw is dropped what the fuck okay yeah once word got out of the crazy shit that was happening at the roth house people began coming to the house to test her one skeptic suggested that nothing miraculous had happened but that mary had simply memorized the encyclopedia entry in another test they took a few letters written by mary and shuffled them in between a stack of papers Still blindfolded, Mary was able to pull out her own letters and read them aloud for the people in the room. Okay. I don't know what the fuck. Family friends, including A.J. Smith, editor of the Danville Times, stopped by to do his own experiment. He arrived with a sealed envelope in his coat pocket. Inside the sealed envelope, he told everyone was a letter from a friend who lived far away. 
the local newspaper editor handed the letter over to the blindfolded Mary. She turned it over and over, but never opened it. Then she announced the name of the person whose signature was on the letter. The editor opened it and checked, and Mary had been correct. Mary! Girl. Okay. This bitch is amazed. <laughs> Stop I fucking mean, around. All right. I mean, I, I can't do it. I can barely function with my glasses on seeing <laughs> full vision. Yeah. Which is evidenced by all of the bruises on my body because I can't even like get through like a door frame without like colossal damage. And na- Mary's fucking nailing it blindfolded. Clearly. The amazed editor wrote a long detailed account of the incident in his paper. According to History of Yesterday, Mary began hearing voices and began speaking in different languages she had no way of knowing. However, Mary was still having seizures on a daily basis, and as a result, her depression was deepening, which led to more cutting. The young girl's health deteriorated, and before long, doctors advised her parents to put her in a mental institution. So, there are conflicting accounts as to what happened next. Okay. Some accounts say that her parents, desperate for a cure for their daughter, ultimately did decide to commit her to an insane asylum. Other accounts say that they refused and decided to care for her themselves, that they took her with them when they visited some friends in Peoria, Illinois, for the 4th of July holiday in 1865. While there, Mary complained of a terrible headache and went to her room. A few minutes later, they found her unconscious on the floor in a pool of blood and rushed her to the asylum where she died on the afternoon of July 5th. There's also a version that states that on July 5th, 1865, Mary's parents left her at home alone while they took a short trip away. Mary got up, made herself breakfast, and went back to her bedroom. And there she had a powerful seizure and died, and her parents found their daughter's dead body when they returned from their trip three days later. So, yeah, I don't know. Mixed mixed messages here. Okay. Yes. She's either... In an asylum when she dies, she's with her parents on a trip when she dies, or her parents went away. And she was at home alone. And she's at home alone when she died. But she died on July 5th, 1865. Okay. That's what we know. And it was because of a seizure. On the day of Mary Roth's death, Mary Lorancy Venom was a 15-month-old baby living on her parents' farm in Iowa. Lorancy, as she was called, was born on April 16th, 1864 at Milford Township, Iroquois County, Illinois. In 1871, the family moved to a farm seven miles south of Watsika. Lorancy was a normal, healthy child of 13 when the 12th anniversary of Mary Roth's death occurred on July 5th, 1877. That night, she had a small seizure that left her in an odd trance-like state. The next morning, Lorancy started to complain that she had been hearing voices in her bedroom and claimed they were calling out to her saying her name over and over again. She told her parents, quote, there were people in my room last night and they kept calling Rancy, Rancy, and I could feel their breath on my face. <gasps> no, thank you. No, right. thank you. Oh my God. Can you fucking imagine Get this as a parent? Fuck out of here. Absolutely not. <gasps> There's people in my room and I could feel, feel their, their breath, breath on my, my face. face. <clears throat> and then her parents did the thing the parents in this situation no gaslight the shit out of her yeah and they're like oh no you're just have an over uh, an overactive imagination oh my god i'm just shaking my head in disbelief right now stop it thomas and lucinda <sighs> her parents are you nailing it i don't know i don't have kids i don't know how the, i don't know how the fuck i'd handle this 
all I know is how I would handle this would be poorly. <laughs> whatever, whatever the decision I would make would not be the right would one. Would be the wrong one. <laughs> a week after the incident, Lorenzi was helping her mother stitch a broken seam in the carpet when she suddenly straightened herself up and said, quote, Ma, I feel bad. I feel mighty queer. End quote. Lorenzi had another seizure and entered into that awake yet stiff state once again. Even though her eyes were open, she didn't describe her immediate surroundings. She described heaven and seeing her two siblings, her sister Laura and her brother Bertie, both of whom had died young. Lorenzi had only been three when her brother died, <gasps> and her family rarely talked about her siblings, you know, because... Yeah, that's sad, and you don't want to yeah. be like, well, your brother died. Hey, remember remember your, your siblings that died? Also, this is the, the like, 1800s, so... It's kind of like standard that yeah. you're going to have kids that don't make it to adulthood, unfortunately. They're bloodletting and leeching, like using leeches. Yeah. By the way, I had fucking so many chills while you just said the children thing, like all of the seeing the children yeah. and all the brothers and sisters. Ah, uh, uh, I know. And since especially so she's three when her brother died, her family didn't talk about it at all. And I don't I don't know if it's just like Cuban people who have like those things that like that are known that you don't fucking talk about ever. Um, but I'm, it seems like this is the vibe. Yeah, totally. Yes, you had these siblings. We don't talk about this ever because we don't want to feel feelings. <laughs> so, because <laughs> if, if we don't talk about it, it didn't happen. So that made her description even more unusual and noteworthy. Seconds later, she became rigid and fell unconscious for five hours. This began to happen every day and usually consisted of Lorenzi lying stiff, with only a faint pulse, her breath slow and weak, and her temperature below normal. She suffered from excruciating abdominal pains and would murmur about strange visions, which usually involved what she called angels. Sometimes the attacks lasted up to eight hours, during which time Lorenzi would allegedly speak in different voices, though when she awoke, she would remember nothing. All through the summer into November, Lorenzi continued to fall into these trances. Each time she would describe another world beyond the veil of this one. She talked about angels, spirits, and heaven in detail. On November 27th, 1877, the seizure she had that night was extremely violent. One report claims, quote, she bent so sharply at the waist that her feet touched her head. <laughs> End quote. I know. And these seizures went on for weeks, leaving the family distraught. This pattern of seizures, then visions, repeated for nearly three months. Doctors thought Lorancy was mentally ill and could do nothing for her, only recommending that she be sent to the state insane asylum in Peoria. God damn it. That's not the fucking solution, people. No, I know, but it's like the fucking... I know, it's like... Late the, 1800s, the, yeah. they're like, that's it. It's like we can it's cut like you the cure-all, yeah. Let the blood come out of your body. And when that or, doesn't uh, fix it, get in the fucking insane asylum. Yeah. Yeah. But the Venoms refused. While the doctor was able to categorize her fits as seizures, his expertise failed him on explaining her visions. At this time, the spiritualist movement was at the height of its popularity. Granted, like the Fox sisters are about three decades into their careers as like at this putting point. on the shows okay. at this point. And news of this strange girl brought many curious visitors to see her, including Dr. E. Winchester Stevens of Janesville, Wisconsin, a medical doctor and an advocate of spiritualism. So he went to the Venoms to investigate the case. 
He had heard about Lorancy through one of her neighbors, who had an interest in spiritualism in the afterlife. He visited the Venom house for the first time on January 31st, 1878, and while he found Lorancy sitting by the stove, he didn't meet Lorancy. The voice that came out of her claimed to be that of an elderly German woman named Katrina Hogan. She was 63 years old when she passed away, which was years before, and now she had taken over Lorancy's body. And by all accounts, she was a total see you next Tuesday. She insulted Lorancy's parents, calling Lucinda, quote, old granny, end quote, and Thomas, old black dick. Wow. Okay. Jesus Christ. (laughs) This went on for a bit before another spirit took over. This one claimed to be that of a young man named Willie Caning, who died after running away from his family. After some unintelligible conversation, she had another fit, during which Dr. Stevens stepped in to help. He relieved her symptoms by using mesmerism, or what is known in modern day as hypnosis. And this shit was so wild that it drew a crowd. People from the town would gather at the Venom house to witness the strange things that was happening to Lorancy. After a bit of mesmerism, Lorancy calmed down and the seizure stopped. Lorancy told the doctor that she had been controlled by evil spirits, and she wanted his help. Dr. Stevens encouraged her to try to find a better control, suggesting that if spirits were just going to be jumping into her body willy-nilly, maybe she could find a good spirit to jump into her body instead. Which, I don't think that's very helpful, Dr. Stevens. No. Like, I I appreciate where you're coming from. Like, yes. I appreciate I hear the effort. you. Yeah. I see you. But that's not helping me. Yeah. No. Also, what's your game plan? Like, how are you going to... Right. That? Yeah. You got a good spirit on, like lock you can call or but here's the thing so Lorancy closed her eyes and a few moments later when she opened them again she smiled and turned to her neighbor standing in the corner of the room with a look of intense recognition she said to the man father it's me Mary Roth full body chills She astounded all those present with the details that she gave of the Roth's house. Mr. Roth went home and told his wife what had happened, and the Roths were filled with mixed emotions because they had spent the last 12 years getting over their daughter's death. Mr. Roth had even gone to see a medium once to get answers and closure regarding his daughter's death, and while the medium gave him a note allegedly from his daughter on the other side, it didn't bring him any comfort. Because it was probably bullshit. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least, at, here's the thing. If it was or it wasn't, he felt it was bullshit. Yes. It clearly wasn't enough to convince him. At, Correct. Versus this, which was. Correct. Yeah. And now in February 1878, this girl, Laurency Venom, was claiming to be possessed by the spirit of Mary Roth. Dr. Stevens kept asking Laurency questions to find out what the fuck was going on, but her answers just confused him. During this time, Lorancy's disposition completely changed. She went from being sullen and aggressive to being mild, passive, and polite. She claimed to not recognize her own family, but kept asking to be taken home. <gasps> oh, that got me too. That got right? me chills, yep. Upon hearing the extraordinary things that were happening with the Venom girl, Mrs. Roth and her daughter, Mrs. Minerva Alter, Mary's sister, went to visit Lorancy. Lorancy was looking out the window of the house 
at the time when she saw them coming down the street, and she exclaimed, quote, There comes my ma and sister Nervy, end quote, the latter being the name Mary used to call her sister when she was a young girl. When they came to the house, she hugged them and cried for joy. It became clear to Dr. Stevens that the woman he was speaking with was no longer Laurency Venom. She was Mary Roth. And Mary wanted to go home. After the incident with Mrs. Roth and Mary's sister, Laurency became progressively more homesick and continually begged to be taken home to the Roths. She didn't recognize anyone in the Venom household, so she asked them if she could go live with her parents at their house. She asked about this for a week, and the Venoms finally acquiesced. Hoping that it might help their daughter's recovery, the Venoms allowed their daughter to be taken to the Roth home. Were the Roths fine with this? They were just like, all right, yeah, this girl lives with us now. She's... Yeah, I don't know how the fuck any... It's all very bizarre to me. Because, okay, let's assume that this is your kid, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden she's like, I don't know who the fuck you are. You're um, my family. I don't, I'm not home. I actually, like, they're my family and I want to live with them. They're my family. Thanks. What the fuck do you do in that situation? And I then if you're the no other idea. parents and they're like, no, I'm your daughter. Hey, what's up? I know I don't look like I want to live with you. Yeah. <gasps> I don't know who the fuck these people are. I want to go home. I want to be with you. Like... I don't know either of these situations. I, like, I feel I'd be I like, can't imagine. well, yeah. <laughs> to the insane asylum you go. Like, this is too much. Too this much is for fucking, us. It's, yeah. Like, I feel for either family, it's a very, like, what the fuck do we do here? I can't even imagine. I can't believe anybody being cool with this and just being like, yeah, totally. Just like, we got a bed I set guess. up for you. I guess. In, yeah, but uh, the, fe- the, bedroom, the Venoms like, were like, sure. Okay, go live with the Ross. And the Ross are like, amazing. Cool. Come live Great. with us. Thanks. When the Venoms asked how long she would remain there, Laurency answered that the angels would let her stay until some time in May. While Laurency had never seen the Roth house before, she remarkably seemed to know everything about it. She used nicknames for her parents and siblings that no one but Mary Roth would have known. She also spoke almost daily of particular incidents in Mary Roth's life. She recognized family members and friends and mentioned others from out of town that the Roths knew but had never visited Watsika in all the years that the Venoms had lived there. She identified Mary's favorite clothes and belongings and recounted past events known to only the family. She had dozens of conversations with old friends, people who had known Mary before her death, and in each of those chats, she mentioned details that no one other than Mary could have known. For 15 weeks, Laurency Venom lived as Mary Roth among her friends and family. 15 fucking weeks. 15 weeks? I cannot get over this. No, this is fucking wild. And everything she did convinced people that she was the real Mary Roth, whom Laurency had never met. Wow. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. Mrs. Roth asked if she recalled the family moving to Texas in 1857 when Mary was 11. And the girl responded promptly that she remembered it well, particularly seeing the Native Americans along the Red River and playing with the young daughters of the family named Reader, who were among the same traveling party. The Roths also tested her with a velvet headdress Mary used to wear, and she recognized it immediately. When Laurency saw it, she lit up and described how she had worn it when her hair was short. And all Mrs. Roth could do was just nod in disbelief. Mm. In another incident, the girl approached Mr. Roth and told him that she had sent him a note once through a medium. 
that he had gone to see and told him the date and confirmed it with others. Okay. I take it back. I know. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Wow. Um, Literally, how the fuck did she know that? Unless she, she was actually, actually Mary brought back from the dead. My brain is like imploding a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when Mary and when Lorancy did see the Venoms, she would treat them as a nice family that she had only recently met. Mary said Lorancy oh, was sick. I can't I, can imagine you imagine how that? that would be for the family of like your I daughter know. treats you as an acquaintance. Like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. Like, yeah, it was nice seeing like, you. Chit chat bullshit. Yeah, tell your mom I said hi. Like, right? Oh. <sighs> yeah. Mary said Lorancy was sick, and her seizures were a symptom of that illness. And because Mary had gone through all that in her own lifetime, she knew how to help. According to quote unquote Mary. Lorancy was in heaven getting better and that when she recovered both physically and mentally, Mary would leave and allow Lorancy to return back to her own body. That's really interesting. Yeah. The stay at Mr. Roth's was beneficial for her physical condition, which continued to improve and her mental health, even though again, she did not seem to recognize or know anything about her own family or their friends and neighbors. During the 15-week possession, there seemed to be periods here and there where Mary would, quote-unquote, go back to heaven and leave the body and Lorancy would return for a bit. But these moments were fleeting and Lorancy never seemed to be fully there. When Lorancy would, quote-unquote, show up, she was confused by her surroundings in the Roth house and would ask to be taken home. But as soon as she said that, Mary would return. Of course, during this whole time, Dr. Stevens is studying the girl. He often asked Mary about her former life and even once told him about cutting her arm and asked the doctor if he wanted to see where she had. She started to pull up her sleeve to show him the scar, but suddenly stopped and said, quote, Oh, this is not the arm. The one is in the ground. End quote. I cannot even describe to you the wave of chills I just got from you saying that. Girl, I fucking know. Oh my god, Monique, that's so horrifying. Okay. I mean, again, the only way I would handle this would be poorly. Oh, yeah. I I'm not even handling the story well right now. Like, I <laughs> definitely wouldn't handle it well in real life. How the fuck do you handle not. this? No. From anybody involved in this, I'd be like, uh. no, you know what? You know how I would handle this? I'd handle this the Cuban way. If we don't acknowledge it, if we're not, it's not happening. <laughs> we're not talking about it, and I'm going to start drinking a lot. That's how we're handling it. Exactly. Let's get some mojitos going, baby. Holy fuck. And then she carried on to describe where the the body where she has the scar was buried, how she witnessed it being done, and who was standing around at the time of her burial. What the fuck, dude? Girl. Laurency often spoke of seeing Dr. Stevens' daughter, Emma, in heaven. Emma had died in March of 1849. She told him that Emma was happy there, and she accurately physically described his daughter down to the X-shaped scar on her cheek resulting from surgery after an infection. She also corrected- Stop correct it. Girl. You know this doctor, like, shit his pants a little bit. He was 10, just like- 10,000 fucking percent! Wasn't expecting that. And again, this is the fucking 1800s. Like, it's no the pictures of her lying around. Yeah, like, what? Yeah. And he lives in a completely different state. 
So it's not like, oh, I heard blah, 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 blah. And I saw her picture at this at his house when I went there for my checkup or whatever. No. And also at this time period, pictures are very rare. Rare, like, yeah. You know, this is still in the, the memorial photography time period because they're very hard. They're very expensive at this point. Yeah. And they take a very long time to develop. So, you know, basically a lot of times people would only have pictures of their deceased after they were deceased to like remember <gasps> them. Yeah, they would take pictures of like the corpse. Yeah, the yeah. memorial photography. Yeah, there there wasn't like it's my third birthday party. Like no. there's none of that shit. Or you happening. would have like one family portrait that like you guys took when like a the photographer came into town. Yeah, with like some exactly. bullshit. Yeah, exactly. She also correctly described Dr. Stevens' home in Janesville, Wisconsin, where she had never been, and gave the names and ages of his children, whom she had never met. On May seventh, eighteen seventy eight. Mary announced to the Roths that Lorancy was ready to return for good. There were a few more brief switches between the two spirits for another two weeks, and then it was over. On May 21st, Mary stood in the parlor of the Roth home and said a tearful goodbye to her family and left. Lorancy was back for good, and she asked Mrs. Roth to take her home. When she arrived, she met her parents and brothers, hugging and kissing them in tears of happiness, and was completely content to be in her own surroundings again. She told her family that the past 15 weeks seemed like a dream to her. Lucinda said their daughter had returned to their home, quote, smarter, more intelligent, more industrious, more womanly, and more polite than ever before, end quote. Damn, that was a hell of a boot camp. Girl. Lorancy never had another seizure again. <gasps> okay. I wanted to ask so for so long. But I didn't want to ruin it because I obviously knew you were going to tell me. Holy Girl. fuck. The Venoms gave Dr. Stevens and Mr. and Mrs. Roth the credit for her complete cure and believed that if Lorancy had remained at home, she would have died or would have been sent to a mental institution. Her mother added, quote, Several of the relatives of Lorancy, including ourselves, now believe she was cured by spirit power and that Mary Roth controlled the girl. End quote. In July 1878, Dr. Stevens pronounced Lorancy in sound health, both mentally and physically. He received a handwritten letter from her in which she thanked him for his patience and help. And allegedly, the handwriting in this letter bore no resemblance at all to the other writings of Lorancy when she was Mary Roth. This is fucking wild, dude. It's wild. For a couple of years, Lorancy tried her hand at being a medium with minimal success. Four years later, in January 1882, Lorancy married George Binning, a New York-born farmer of English parentage from near Watsika. While it was said Mary would occasionally take control of Lorancy every now and then, George had zero interest in spiritualism, so she was never able to develop her mediumistic powers further. Now, so we have to go into the obligatory devil's advocate portion of this lay it on me yeah i mean it's the 1800s so like documentation and like could be faked yeah of course and you know i mean people would like people could lie barf yeah. up like cheesecloth and, and during these medium sessions they'd be like oh my god it's ectoplasm and it's like no this bitch had like cheesecloth cheese yeah and just like threw it up gross <laughs> exactly gross but you know whatever I, I get it you know they don't have cgi and shit here they're like this is amazing Upon reviewing the case, psychologist Frank Sargent Hoffman regarded Lorancy as, quote, a typical case of hysterical impersonation, end quote, which, is that a thing? 
I guess. I've never heard of it. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And wrote that there was no evidence that Lorenzi had knowledge she could not have obtained by normal means. Hoffman wrote that the grieving Roth family, quote, did everything in their power, end quote, to encourage Lorenzi that she was their Mary. Journalist Henry Addington Bruce characterized Lorenzi as, quote, unduly suggestible, end quote, saying that, quote, it may safely be declared that the phenomena manifested through Lorenzi venom was not a whit more otherworldly than the phenomena produced by tricksters whom Hodgson himself so skillfully and mercifully exposed, end quote. Bruce wrote the recurrences of the Mary personality appeared, quote, only when the Roths paid her visits and that they ceased entirely upon her marriage to a man not interested in spiritualism and her removal to a distant part of the country, end quote. So basically he's like, there's no information that she gave them that she could have found out otherwise, which it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't. And especially since, yes, this is, I mean, yeah, devil's advocate, sure. Like maybe she could have found out all this other shit. Yeah, or like they were like leading her kind of feeding yes. her the information inadvertently, maybe even. Yeah, I'll because give. they wanted it to be they her. Wanted it, yeah. Right. However, the families involved seemed to think that Lorenzi was indeed possessed by the spirit of Mary Roth. Also, another thing, like, you know your kid, right? Like you'd be like, She's bullshitting. Yeah. I don't people you will know? imposter, man. People will believe yeah, what exactly. they want to believe. Yeah. Richard Hodgson, who worked with Morton Prince in the Christine Bauchamp multiple personality case at the end of the 19th century, suggested that Mary Roth could have been a second personality of Lorancy Venoms. If so, we can discount the reincarnation, spiritual possession, or any other paranormal explanation of the case. However, here's the thing that we were just saying. The problem still remains with how Lorancy obtained the detailed knowledge she's said to have had when she was possessed. And the same problem applies if the whole thing was an elaborate hoax. Where and how did she obtain the detailed information about the people, places, and events she knew nothing about? Yes, there is, of course, like leading questions and stuff, but I I would imagine the doctor wouldn't have been like, have yeah. you seen my dead kid? You know, like, looked I would like imagine. XYZ and had the X shape. Do you remember my daughter's X shape scar? Like, no, I feel like he would. I would imagine a doctor being a quote unquote man of science would have been a little bit more impartial. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. But I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah. And again, the 1800s, you're just like, mm. he's just don't everyone's know, kind of not like yeah. protocols and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Even after she moved away, Lorenzi stayed in touch with her folks back home as best she could. One of the people who she wrote to often was Mrs. Roth. On the rare occasions that she was able to visit her parents in Watsika, she would always make it a point to visit the Roths as well. And after a few minutes of exchanging pleasantries, Lorenzi would always do them a favor. She would sit back in the chair and close her eyes. And when she would open them again, it wouldn't be Lorenzi, but Mary stopping in to see her parents again. And that Chills. is the story of Lorenzi Venom, a.k.a. Mary Roth, a.k.a. the Watsika Wonder, a.k.a. America's first documented case of spiritual possession. Holy shit. I Girl. fucking loved that, dude. I got so many chills, and that was so fucking interesting. Thank you. Yeah, right? I had not heard of that. That's wild. Yeah. And then it's like, you don't usually hear of cases of, like, 
benevolent possession, quote unquote. Yeah. And the fact that that was like the treatment, he was like, let's just like find a good spirit to like. Yeah. Find a good spirit and then go live in their house for 15 weeks. Yeah. 15 fucking weeks. Seriously. That's like fucking what? Like just under four months. That's crazy. Yes. Wild. I can't imagine dealing with this. I can't imagine anyone's no, reaction like to this. Any, it really is any so part of this. So fucking bad. I, I kind of want imagine... them to make a movie about this, actually. Oh my god, for sure. <laughs> I couldn't imagine being the girl this is having to. No. Her uh, like, family. No, like there's no Mary person family, in this yeah. where I'm like the I doctor. With like this. I have I have no idea. The siblings where you're like, what the fuck is happening? Fucking wild, dude. Yeah. Really wild. Yeah. Dude, that was really interesting. That makes me really want to go listen to the lore podcast because yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not it's, heard uh, about this. I, I believe it's episode fifty. It's called Mary Mary. Oh damn! I didn't the realize episode. they had that many. That's insane. Oh, they're way past that. Oh shit! Way past that. Yeah, because I think they started in two thousand sixteen. Oh okay, nice. But yeah, so uh, I, first time I heard of it was in the lore podcast, like four years ago, something like that. And then I was like, you know, this would be a cool story to do. It is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I just like, I'm sitting here just like shaking my head. I just like. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's I'm like, all right. Wild. Okay. Fuck. I can't. I'm I'm not recovered, Monique. <laughs> it's a doozy. You've rocked me. It's a wild one. You've rocked me to my core here. Boom. Damn. I love it. Fuck yeah. yeah. You nailed it. You fucking nailed that one. Thank you so much. You knock it out of the park every time, honestly. I mean, so do you. I always look forward to it. You know, I you have such variety. I always feel like I get stuck in some sort of rut sometimes. Maybe not. I don't think so. That's good. I'm always fascinated. Okay. Titillated, if you will. Ooh. Hoo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'm doing my job properly, Monique. Absolutely, you are. Fuck yeah. So do we have a little crime time? I have some crime time for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it yes. on your hands. Okay. Yes. And... Since uh, Thanksgiving is coming up this week. I fucking knew you were going to do it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I know. I love I'm you very... so much. I fucking knew it. I knew it. I'm apparently this predictable. Yes, I did a Thanksgiving themed true crime story for you guys. Um, I'm always like, is this too Is this too morbid to do? I was like, this feels, I feel like a sick fuck for doing this. And then I'm like, uh, you know, we like am. It's committed fine. to doing this. It's very true. It's very we committed true. to doing the crime time and people are committed to listening to us talk about the crime time i feel like they love the crime time the crime time is where it's at they do. absolutely yeah the the paranormal is a nice appetizer to like warm you up but everyone yes, knows it's the yes if you will everyone knows the true crime is like the real meat and potatoes absolutely the, it's the entree which by the way a quick quick side note uh thanks so much to everyone for the um reactions to the tanya head uh, story <gasps> yesterday i'm not yesterday last week yes uh my favorite reaction was from donna uh who called her that 9-11 bitch <laughs> <laughs> accurate and succinct oh my god so amazing um yeah so this is gonna sound ridiculous when i saw the pictures of her on the instagram because that was the first time yeah. i saw pictures of her yeah I, that was not what i was picturing who i was picturing i guess because one your brain automatically like fills in fills in yes she doesn't look like a tanya because she's not doesn't look like a tanya and two like because i think 
you said she was like in Barcelona when it happened. So like I'm picturing like basically like a hot like Spanish woman. No. Like a tall, leggy, like model in my brain because apparently I'm superficial and that's just where my brain no, goes. But, <laughs> but that was part of the thing that that they think that why she kind of made up the stuff is because she was overweight and she was teased for being quote unquote ugly. And so that's why she'd make up these boyfriends. This, and all like, this loving stuff boyfriend. Like... And yeah. Oh, yeah. And she had the other one, too. It was like the, he, her fiance died in a car crash and it was. Yes, yeah, the a one Ferrari. where she lost her arm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was a Ferrari. Blah, blah. Yeah. That's right. She's trash. I've been, I was teased mercilessly, too. And I don't make shit up. Yeah. Dude. People pay me to pretend to be other people, but yes. it's totally above board. <laughs> So, the yeah. union says so. It's uh, fine. <laughs> so yeah, I saw the pictures and I was like, "Oh, okay, all right." That's not what. Yeah. I, that's not what was in my head. Yep, totally. Sorry. Back to my horrifying Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Story. Officially starting. So sources: Snapped, classic. Oh, fuck yeah. Season fourteen, episode one. Murderpedia.org, investigationdiscovery.com, allthat'sinteresting.com schlissellawfirm.com and good old wikipedia boom omaima ari was born in 1968 in a poor farming village in the south of egypt near the sudanese border while life was hard there by anyone's standards hers was harder than most her father was a violent man and his bad temper made for a chaotic childhood yeah oh we're already off to a rough start i know don't have kids if you're trash uh, yeah. What the fuck? Though in a poor farming village, your, your birth control options are probably no. I know, but pull out, man. Come on. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's not a reliable. <laughs> no, I understand that. I do understand but that. But also, should be let's made. be fucking real. He probably wasn't. Oh, no. He's just trash. No. Yes. When her parents eventually split, she and her mother moved to Cairo to an area of the city called the City of the Dead, and off to a great start. Yeah. And it's called that because it's the part of the city that houses Cairo's vast cemeteries. Mm. Unfortunately, it also houses half a million of the city's impoverished residents, their homes surrounded by graves. Which is chilling. I'm not going to lie. Like, I can't imagine growing up like that. Yeah. So Omaima obviously wants a better life. She's not a spooky chick. She's sick of the graves. She wants to get the fuck out of there. For sure. So fast forward to 1986. She's a beautiful 18-year-old, still stuck in the cemeteries. Eventually, she met an American oil worker while he was on assignment in Egypt, and the two became romantically involved. The relationship was serious enough that her family got involved and said they needed to get married. Omaima didn't think that a Muslim man would accept her because she was no longer a virgin, so she accepted. Plus, she saw this obviously as a way out and like her ticket to freedom. (sighs) Yep. The two got married, and when his job ended in Egypt, she moved to Texas with him. But soon after they arrived, the new relationship soured, and the two got divorced. Mm. Now, Obama, who was still technically in her teens and didn't speak oh, English very well, because she's like 18, 19, yeah, suddenly found herself alone in a foreign country. Yeah, that she doesn't fucking know the language, and the one dude that she had, like, that basically went to shit. Yes. Oh, fuck, I can't imagine. Her job skills were limited, but she was beautiful and had no trouble meeting men in bars, which allowed her to get by by drifting from one brief relationship to the next. 
Mm. This series of flings eventually led her to Orange County, California, where she made ends meet by cleaning houses, nannying, and modeling on occasion. One night in October of 1991, while Omaima was out playing pool and having a drink, she met a man named Bill Nelson. He was this larger-than-life character. He was loud and outgoing, the type of person everyone would notice when he walked in the room. He drove a red Corvette and wore red cowboy boots and gave the impression that he was a rich Texan type. He even owned a cattle ranch back in Texas. Although Bill was 56 years old and had five children and 17 oh. grandchildren. Oh my God. Yeah. Omaima didn't really seem to mind their 33-year age difference. She was attracted to older men and felt they could take care of her. Plus, I mean, this is like daddy issues galore. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we're not getting into the psychology of this shit. Yeah. Plus, Bill didn't act old. And when they were together, they acted like just teenagers who were in love. They had a whirlwind romance. And after just four weeks of dating, they decided to take a road trip to Texas to visit his cattle ranch and meet his family. They planned to stop in Arkansas on the way there to visit a few more of Bill's relatives. But before they did, they drove to Phoenix, found a justice of the peace, and made their relationship official. Oh, shit. Omaima Ari was now Omaima Nelson. Newly married, the two set off on their road trip slash honeymoon. Now, to them, their relationship made perfect sense. Bill was lonely. Omaima wanted a companion as well, one who would take care of her, and there was a genuine spark between them. Mm. But as you can imagine, when Bill's children met the newlyweds, they didn't think their relationship made sense. Which, yeah. considering that some of his kids were older than her, like, oh, I kind of get, yeah. Fine. Like, it happens, yeah. Like, I know it does, and that super grosses me out, though. Yeah, I get it. Like, my stepmom is younger than me. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Oh. Like, Dad, come on, please. Thank you. Can you not? I always think about that from, is that in Bill and Ted's? Oh, is it? Excellent Adventure, that, like, one of their stepmoms, like, went to school with them. Oh, no. I I haven't seen that movie in so long, but I'm pretty sure that's, like, a thing. Same. I don't know. I mean... But it's yeah, a thing that happens. It's a thing that, that happens, so... But you can't help but have reservations when your 56-year-old dad brings home his new 23-year-old wife. Of course. But, you know, they were willing to give her a chance. And honestly, they were pretty impressed. Especially after an incident where Omaima fell while they were out horseback riding. Bill's family offered to take her to see a doctor, but Omaima said she was fine and just asked for an aspirin and some vodka and brushed the whole thing off. Girl, same. Like, yeah. Fucking same. Yeah. That's how I get through most of my days. <laughs> I know, right? Aspirin like, that's the remedy. Vodka. That's the remedy. <laughs> to all life's troubles. Absolutely. So his family's like, okay, this chick's not so bad. Like, she's cool. She can hang. I I love that that's that's where the family is. Like I feel like other people would be like red flag immediately. <laughs> no, but these are like these are like ranchers. These are real yeah. like tough salty people. They're like yeah, yeah, she yeah. Can, yeah. This is not a pansy chick. Like all right, she can handle him. She's good. <laughs> I love it. By Thanksgiving, the two had returned to California and had settled into Bill's Costa Mesa apartment. Bill talked to his stepdaughter on the phone, wishing her a happy Thanksgiving and telling her that they had a turkey cooking with all the fixings and that everything was going just great. Mm. Three days later, on December 1st, 1991, Jose Esquivel was woken up by banging on his front door. When he looked out the window, he saw a red Corvette in the driveway, but didn't recognize it, so he just went back to sleep. Whoever was knocking eventually gave up and left. 
about four hours later, around 1.30 p.m., Jose was about to leave his house when the red Corvette he'd seen earlier pulled back in the driveway. The The driver caught him leaving his front door. He was shocked to recognize Omaima, a woman he'd gone out with a few times about a year earlier. He could see that she had some injuries and was visibly upset, so he invited her inside. Omaima then proceeded to tell him that her husband, Bill, had attacked her. She said he had kept her tied up for several days and (gasps) raped her repeatedly, but she finally managed to escape. She told Jose that she had gotten an arm loose and hit Bill with a lamp to get away, but had accidentally hit him hard enough to kill him. After she confessed to Jose that she had killed her husband, she told him she needed help and asked him to help her dispose of the body. To which I have to say, like, bitch, I don't know you like that. Imagine, okay, okay. Imagine a Tinder date you went on like three (laughs) dates with a year ago, shows up at your fucking apartment, is like, yo. I'm in some shit. Yeah. I'm in some shit. (laughs) Hi, no, it's been a while. I like, my husband beat the fuck out of me and he was terrible to me and like, I'm fine. And I beat him off me, but like, I accidentally killed him. Like, do you have like a shovel or like a backyard or something? Can you actually get your truck? That'd be like, great, thanks. <laughs> what the fuck? I the mean, audacities. Get the fuck off my outrageous. property. Outrageous. I mean, I'm also going to guess the story's bullshit, but um, that's just me jumping the gun. That's that's my that's my that's your hot take. Okay, that's my educated guess. Okay, we'll find out at the end of this. You're usually pretty good at this, so. TBD. I mean, I don't think I'll ever I'll ever top. The pig farm. Oh, no, no, no. That was your I'll finest work, that. Monique. That was Thank your you. finest work. It was. <laughs> I should have just, like, checked out immediately after that episode. That was like, the last episode. You're that's like, that's where I, I peaked. I'm never going to be better than that. Stop it. <laughs> no, but this is outrageous. Showing oh, up to a fucking dude that you dated a little bit a year ago, be like, hey, I murdered my husband. Can you help me dispose Can of the body? Can you why? Yeah. <laughs> you know uh, what? Maybe that is, that's what it is to be hot. I just but don't know just what like, that yeah, is. you're just like, yeah, this is gonna, yeah, he'll help me, totally. I don't know what that, I, I like, if I went to anyone, if I went to my ex that I dated for, like, six years, and told him this, he'd tell me to go fuck myself. Right? That's some, like, dude, I, like, casually, like, gave, like, a handy to in his, like, Jeep a year like, ago. I feel like I would have a heart, even my best friends who, you always say, like, oh, I would help you bury the body, like, you fucking call me i would still feel like if i called them and said this they'd be like um it's like actually, i don't though, think like, i can be like an accessory right now yeah to this thanks love that journey <laughs> for, for you offer. though yeah i'm glad that you thought of me <laughs> glad i was you know first on your mind but gonna have to pass respectfully thank you this is what happens when you're hot i guess i don't know i guess people so. aren't down to do the show for you i i don't know i don't know either Omaima then confessed that she had already cut him up and put him in trash bags. She just needed some kind of vehicle to pick up the trash bags and dispose of them. Yep. Oh, Monique. Okay. Jaws on the floor. (laughs) I'm clutching my invisible pearls. Girl. Girl. Yes. I mean, She's already half into it. You can't stop now. Yeah. One, I'm like, good on you. You're like, Bay, I did all the hard work. Like it's fine. Like I just need your truck. Just like come pick up some bags. I just need the truck. I mean, if you're gonna like have to talk somebody into it, like yeah, you want minimal effort on their part. Yeah, because if you're like, hey, you need to like let's let's swing by a Home Depot, get the bone saw. Yeah, no, he's gonna definitely say no. But this, he might have actually been like, I mean, 
I'm not crazy about it, but sure. You're and hot again. Thing. Again, fuck being hot. Like <laughs> hot people of the world. Mo, t- like tell me this yes. game of mouse. F- like, do you get away with shit like that? I definitely fucking don't. <laughs> this is this is the wildest shit to me. Um, perks of being hot, I guess. There you go. So she just wants the truck. She's like, I did all the hard work. Come on, help a sister out. So she doesn't want him involved. She just wants the truck. She just wants the truck. She did at least offer to pay him for his disposal services. Why the fuck is she telling him? Is she blabbing? Could she just be like, hey, I <laughs> I need to return some shit at the max and like my car isn't big enough for that? <laughs> Why does she have to be like, yo, like, I fucking killed my you husband You need to be involved. That's true. She was not thinking this through. She really should have just like been like hey shut I'm, the fuck up i'm moving apartments can i borrow your truck or something real hey, quick like, yeah i have like a big couch that doesn't fit can i use your truck thanks my neighbors are gonna help me move it though you don't need to come help just i just need to borrow your truck for a little bit it's cool yeah maybe this he thought is- she, he wouldn't give up his truck without like coming with it i don't know this, she wasn't thinking this through this is no, not clearly clearly no. the fuck not this is not well planned so apparently bill had seventy five thousand dollars in his safe and <gasps> two motorcycles in his garage that she told Jose he could have if he helped her. So he's like, sure, 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 sure. Of course, I'll help you get rid of your husband's dismembered body, girl I went on two dates with. Just stay here while I go get the truck and I'll be right back. So he leaves her waiting at his place and – Like you hear like the car second, the tires yes. just like peel off. Yes. And the second he's out of there, he books it to a payphone and calls 911. Absolutely. Yes. That's the correct response to someone asking you to help them get rid of a body. Especially Thank someone you. you, like, barely fucking know. Yes. It's not your ride or die for fucking kindergarten. and you're, It's not your, like, blood brothers bullshit that you did in fourth grade. It's some chick, like, you went out twice with a year ago. Yes! Like, bitch, we went on two fucking dates. Like, I'm not fucking helping you dispose of your husband's body. Thanks. Well, good on him, because yes. I was concerned for a second. No, no, no. He, no. He was like, that's not happening. I'm not getting involved with this. Police were immediately dispatched and arrived at Jose's a few minutes later, where they found Omaima waiting for him to return. She was clearly distraught. They could tell she'd been crying and that there were visible injuries to her face, breast, and arms, which seemed to corroborate the story she had told to Jose and reiterated to the police about her husband tying her up and sexually assaulting her. Mm-hmm. But instead of wanting their assistance, she told the officers she was fine and that she didn't need their help. Which, red flag, do not tell the officers that. That's very sketchy. When they asked about the part where she had accidentally killed her husband when she was escaping, Omaima denied everything Jose had said "Ah, she said. ah, (laughs) And told them her husband was still alive and on a business trip in Florida. When they asked her if she had spoken to him since he'd been in Florida, she told them that they hadn't been married for very long and she didn't really have a good way to get in contact with him. After listening to these bizarre answers, police obviously started getting a little suspicious. So they decided, yep, to take- Super suspicious. Super suspicious. Yeah. So they decided to take a closer look at the Corvette in the driveway. They go to check it out, and on the passenger seat, they see a black plastic trash bag. Get the fuck out! And it's not tied shut or anything. It's just, like, sitting there, twisted, closed, basically. So- one of the officers opened it and peeked in the top and Stop was it. so Stop shocked it. that he Stop dropped it. the pocket knife he was using to, like, hold the bag open because inside the bag was what appeared to be organs. Oh! 
And when they saw black spots on the lungs from smoking, they knew they were looking at human organs. The police realized, yep. Like, why would you drive with them? Oh my, my, you done fucked up, girl. Like, horde. For real. The police realized they now officially had a homicide on their hands, and Omaima was immediately transported to the Costa Mesa Police Department for questioning while officers were dispatched to the apartment she shared with Bill. You don't keep the evidence on you. On you. Come on. After knocking and receiving no response, police forced entry by breaking the front window. Inside, the apartment was messy and cluttered. Bill reprogrammed computers and assembled them from spare parts, so there were boxes and computers mm. everywhere. And these computers are from 1991, so they're fucking Yeah, they're the size of a fucking house. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie. I saw pictures of the apartment. Like, they show pictures of the apartment on the episode of Snapped. And, like, my first thought was, like, oh, yeah, I, like, would have killed him, too. Like, I would not. I could not stand to live in this fucking mess. (laughs) And I know that's horrible. That's not the response. But, like, it's bad. It it wasn't quite the level of the Russian dolls house. But it was, like, it's a lot. Like, there's, like, six desktop computers in a a room in the office. Like, no. Well, see, that's why, like, you want some older dude who's got money to, like, take care of you? You got to put up with some shit. Yeah. It might be 16, yeah, Dell desktops in your (laughs) apartment. You know what? You'll never want for playing Oregon Trail. There you go. You can die of dysentery as much as you want. Boom. Bam. The officer said that despite the clutter, everything looked pretty normal, and they didn't notice anything right off the bat. Meanwhile, back at police headquarters, detectives sat down to interview Omaima. But while they sat, she paced and wandered around the interrogation room for nearly four hours while they questioned her. She was rambling and talking in third person. She spoke oh, of hallucinations. Oh, shut the fuck up. Yep. And she spoke of hallucinations and continued to deny that her husband was dead. She denied telling Jose that she killed her husband, and when they asked why he'd make that up, she said, quote, he's on acid, he doesn't know what he's talking about, end quote. Which, like, bitch, you just asked me to help you, like, get rid of a body? How dare you slander also, me? Also, fine. Okay, let's let's assume that's true. Yeah. He's on acid, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Where the fuck the organs come from, bitch? Right? Like, we saw those. In the car. You drove. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) When they asked her about the organs, she blamed them on Bill and said she thought that he had killed somebody because, according to her, Bill was a dangerous man. He was no run-of-the-mill 56-year-old cattle rancher. He had been in prison for four years and was just recently paroled. Robert Phillips, a Costa Mesa police detective, said there were also indications that Bill may have worked for the CIA, and they did not expound upon this, and I didn't find this in any of the articles. It was just mentioned briefly and snapped, so I don't have more information on that. But apparently, Bill was a pilot and would pilot these big DC-3s out of Laredo, Texas, going down to Mexico and Colombia, and one time... He came back with a plane full of weed and got caught, hence his time uh, in federal prison. Okay. So he so he did do time in-, in He did do time in prison uh, okay. for flying back with a plane full of weed. Okay. Yes. But Omaima accused him of far worse than drug trafficking. She said he raped women and that he had tied her up and raped her too. 
When detectives pressed her about how she had escaped and what had happened to Bill, she continued to deny what she told Jose and said, quote, I don't know. I don't believe he's dead. He can't be, end quote. She also couldn't explain how she wound up at Jose's with a bag full of organs. Like, hi, I know it's been a while, but do you want to like organ and chill or what? I mean, it's not like <laughs> like when you get drunk and then open up that Amazon app and then two days later you're like, the fuck Why is do this I have this? Yeah. Oh, oh, look at that. No, it's not the fucking same. Don't pretend it's the same. Like, you know how you wound up there with a bag of organs. You know what your goal was. Girl, like, just come up with a better lie. I, I, these people, I, I get so pissed that, you know, they, they kill these people. They do these fucking heinous crimes, and then they can't even lie properly. No. Cut your loose ends, cover your fucking bases. There you go. It's an archer. Loose ends. <laughs> can't have any loose ends, goddammit. Absolutely fucking not. And don't bring more people into this. Yes. That is how you wind up fucking getting caught. Exactly. What's it? Three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Boom. Facts. The fuck? Yes. So the police realize they aren't getting anything else from her, and they decide to send her to the hospital so she can get a sexual assault examination and have all of her injuries documented. Uh-huh. Back at Bill and Omaima's apartment, despite everything appearing normal at first, police started noticing little drops of blood yep. on a doorknob, on the wall, on the carpet. And when they started to dig deeper, they found more trash bags filled with more body parts. There was a broken lamp and a steam iron with hair and blood on it. Oh, my God. Yep. And this is where it's going to get really. It's going to get worse. Yeah, it's going to get real bad. They found Bill's hands in the frying pan. Turkey meat from Thanksgiving. Yep. And as if that wasn't horrifying enough, when they checked the freezer, uh-uh. they found Bill's severed head. Oh! Yep. They could see it was badly burnt and realized that she had fried the head in a deep fat fryer before stuffing it in the freezer. Oh! I know. My God. Yep. It's a level of uh, horrifying that should not be achieved. Yes. Correct, no. your face is correct. Oh my god. I know. Girl. I know. Settle down, right? Like, you're Settle taking the fuck it down. very far. Okay, here's the thing. You kill this dude, you cut him up. You're like, I need to get rid of this. Deep frying his head is going to do what exactly? I do not know. Cubans deep fry everything. I'm very familiar with a deep fryer. Um, it, it doesn't make things go away. It just makes them crispy. I don't know what the point of that was. I don't know either. Maybe it was some kind, like, trying like to a fuck disfigure you? him so that maybe it would be, he wouldn't be as easy to identify. That's why you remove the teeth. So... I could not find this again, but I felt like at some point I either read or heard that she, the part of the reason she had like put him in the freezer was because she thought it would be easier to remove his teeth that way or like break his teeth that way. Don't quote me on that. And here's the thing. I've never uh, dismembered anything. Thank God. But yes. Thank God. Correct. Right? Yeah. You know, hot take. But 
from what I understand, that's a very physically arduous process to do. Yes. Especially like Bill's like 6'4 and 230 or something. Like he's a pretty big dude. And she's like, what, 23? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, she, uh, and like she was a model, but I feel like they described her as petite. I don't actually, she's like pretty tiny. I don't think that's she's that. That's some rage in you to do that. It's I would a think. task. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll get into it a little. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. So police move on to examine the bedroom. And when they did, they saw that two of the posts on the bed were broken, which seemed to confirm her story that she had been tied up and escaped. But when they stripped off the sheets, they saw that there was blood all over the mattress and the box spring. Okay. Yep. To say it. Which made them suspect that it was actually Bill who had been tied up. So they went to check the body parts, and sure enough, they found bruising around his ankles. So they officially suspected Omaima and questioned her story. As you can guess, gruesome was the word pretty much everyone used to describe the crime scene. Yeah. Back at the hospital, an ER trauma nurse examined Omaima and documented her injuries. But the results of her sexual assault examination were negative and there was no evidence of any recent sexual trauma, nor did her injuries indicate a struggle. Authorities said her injuries were actually consistent with someone who had dismembered a body. Oh my god. So homicide investigators immediately brought her back in for more questioning. I just looked up a picture of this chick. She's not that hot. Not for this shit. She's not that hot. She's fine. So here's the thing, and, like, I kind of left this part out because I know it's not really, like, kosher to say this anymore, but, like, everyone described her as, like, exotic. Exotic. She was so exotic looking, which obviously we don't describe people that way anymore, but in 1986, no one gave a fuck, and that was okay, and that was, like, a compliment, She looks different from everyone else there. Exactly. So it's, like, she's, you know, petite and dark-skinned, and, yeah, she's Egyptian, and it's, you know. Right. It, it, like, upped her hotness factor, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Plus, again, she's like dating older men, so for them, that's like absolutely holy fucking They're shit. Like, yeah, I'm middle aged, and this 23 year old wants to bang me. I'm yeah, amazing. and like she, you know, model. She models lingerie in her spare time. Uh-huh. So like, yes. oh, she's a lingerie model. So right. Yeah. So homicide investigators immediately brought her back in for more questioning. Knowing her story was falling apart, Omaima finally admitted that she had a confession. She told them that Bill was dead and that she had killed him, but said, quote... They're like, yeah, bitch, we fucking know. Yeah, they're like, we saw the bed, we found the body parts, like, we figured it out, thanks. You sh- you drove up to another dude's house with a and bag of that. fucking organs. <laughs> yes, and said that to him. He called us. That's why we're here. It's how you got into this now. But she said, quote, I don't remember how I killed him. Oh, fuck you. All fuck I remember... you. Yep. All I remember, I get up, like I said... And find him, and he's in a trash bag. End quote. Then That's she said, not "How that works? No, this is this is not fucking Chicago. It's like, and then I blacked out. I can't remember a thing. It wasn't until later when I was washing the blood off my hands. I even knew they were dead. Get the fuck out of here. Yes, it's not a Bob Fosse production. <laughs> the fuck out of here. Yeah, that's what she's claiming. Then she said, "Quote: Something inside me told me that I had to do it. Oh, like, okay." Like demons. End oh, quote. okay. Yep. Wait, um, did she say? Did she say quote like demons? Yeah, that's what she said. 
not necessarily demons, but like demons, adjacent to demons. Yes. Yes. <laughs> In we, the we're going to get, demons. yeah, we're going to, we'll get into it. Yeah. Are you fucking serious? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> Omaima then told them about how she was abused and how mysterious people had contacted her. She told them she had visions. In one, two women with blood all over them walked in and said, quote, he must die, he must die, end quote. Detectives- They'd be like, bitch, you do that. I'm just going to roll out then. Right? Like, you could take care of this. Detectives didn't know what to think about these quote-unquote visions and just thought it was all a ploy. Regardless, after confessing to the murder of her husband, they placed her under arrest. In a startling moment of clarity, her police interview ends with her saying, quote, I need someone to talk to. I need a psychiatrist. End quote. While Amima was awaiting trial, the medical examiner's office confirmed the body parts belonged to Bill Nelson and that he had been violently beaten to death. Oof. They also couldn't help but note the skill with which the body was cut up. Described as methodical and Oof. fairly professional, they said, oh. yeah, they said the cuts were so precise that the coroner's office actually started to worry that she'd done this before. <gasps> when they finally weighed all of the remains they had recovered, they were shocked to realize that there was about 130 pounds of Bill's body missing. Okay, I'm sorry, jaws on the floor? I know, I know. So they recovered half? Basically, yeah. So between the garbage bags and like her little like fucking doggy bag in the fucking car, half of it's missing? Yes. Now, remember, it's 1991, so Dahmer literally just got caught. And yeah. with all the deep fried body parts they found, they were worried that they had another cannibal on their hands. Oh, that's yes, that's their first thought. But like, you My can't God. like 130 pounds. Like she between killing him and when she went to Jose, you can't eat 130 pounds of somebody. That's crazy. However, according oh my god, <laughs> according to one of Bill and Omaima's neighbors, they could hear the garbage disposal running the whole weekend, just non-stop until it finally broke late Saturday, early Sunday. Which is why she shows up to this clown's place. Literally, literally. It was just a few hours after that that Omaima sought out Jose to help her dispose the rest of the body. Yes, you fucking called it. It broke and she was like, oh, fuck. I gotta, like, get rid of this somehow. Another way. I better go call this guy. Oh. Right? My God. I know. It's the fucking The thought wild. of being disposed of via a garbage, garbage disposal. disposal. <gasps> Girl, it's like extra horrifying for some reason. I don't know. I know you're dead and you can't feel any of it, but like. No, no, no. But it's so, it's so, I don't even know what, because I want to say disrespectful, but that's just like not the right word. It's correct, but it's not the right word that I want. It just, I feel like, because like. It's so callous it just, and It is, up. and it just like makes you, it's almost like you're suddenly meat. Yeah, like you're a not a person anymore. Like exactly. we're grinding you down into literally like meat. Yeah, no, it's very, it's very horrifying, obviously. Uh -uh. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So because of how precise the dismemberment was, the police were concerned that she may have done this before. And so they spent the next few days digging into her past. They quickly discovered that she had a pattern of meeting men in bars and living with them for a while Eventually, she would get bored with them and would usually steal something when she inevitably left, 
either a car or money. Yeah, that they, that's what they said. And I was like, I, I feel like the car thing maybe worked once. I can't imagine that happening. Like, See, what, something, I thought maybe like a watch or some like nice cufflinks or some shit. A car? They, yeah. That's a they very said, yeah. fucking difference. Snapped said car and money. I know. I was shocked too. I know. That's a fucking move. That's, that's a like, move. Uh, yeah. Hi, we're breaking up and I'm taking your car. Thanks. Good luck. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. That's a parting <laughs> gift. Yep. Omaima did have a criminal record mainly shoplifting and petty theft, but there was also the incident in 1989. Omaima had been 20 years old at the time and was caught shoplifting in a department store. She attacked two female security guards, biting one's breast, quote-unquote, almost off, (gasps) and managed to escape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Horrifying. The thought of that, I know. Your facial expression is correct. Jaw (sighs) is on the for girl yep and like it's like lady code like don't fuck right? with the titties for real like you don't want that done to you don't do that to somebody else no <sighs> she was later found and arrested for shoplifting and battery and was sentenced to a few months in jail just a few months for almost ripping off a titty i know i was like that seemed very mild that's very mild yeah but okay mm-mm Shortly after she was released, Omaima began dating an older man named Robert Hansen, and the two lived together briefly. So police tracked down Robert to ask him about his relationship with Omaima. While he admitted that he'd been in the relationship mainly for the sex, Robert said Omaima was much more interested in his financial assistance. Mm. One day, according to him, Omaima asked him for some money. He was like, what are you going to do for me? And she was like, oh, I'll tie you up. Which... Obviously sounded really familiar to the police. But Robert was down for a little kink, so he agreed and let her tie him to the bed. However, things immediately went south when Omaima pulled a gun on him and demanded money. Holy but, shit. Yep. Despite which the balls. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. For sure. But despite being held at gunpoint, Robert refused. And because he wasn't tied up very well, he was able to wrestle himself free. Holy shit. And get the gun away from Omaima. Yep. Robert told police that he ended the relationship after that night, but said he didn't report it because he was embarrassed by the incident. Of course, yeah. Yep. The police convinced Robert to press assault charges against Omaima, which were added onto her existing charges for Bill's murder. Nice. On December 1st, 1992, almost exactly a year after she was arrested, Omaima Nelson's trial began, looking very different from the lingerie model Bill Nelson had married. One juror said it looked, quote, like she had been through it, end quote. During the trial, the prosecution argued that Bill had entered into a consensual bondage session. But when Bill refused Omaima's demands for money, she murdered him. They called Robert Hansen as a witness whose testimony they believed established a pattern of Omaima seducing older men, tying them up during sex acts, and robbing them. During her trial, Omaima didn't deny that she killed Bill. I mean, she had confessed, after all. Yes. Instead, the defense argued that Omaima, after being abused and She's sexually assaulted, woman. yep, during her month-long marriage Fuck to you. Bill, yep, had finally reached her breaking point. See, According- it's shit like this then gives the fucking ammo to those assholes being like, well, like a false reporting or shit. False reporting, whatever the fuck. Fuck you. Because there are women and men who are fucking being assaulted like every fucking day. 
And then yes. they have to have people, like cops and people be like, did this actually happen though? Because of assholes like this. Fuck you. Yes. You're such a piece of yes. shit. According to her, Bill's abuse was just the most recent in a long line of abuse she had suffered throughout her life. And that pretty much everyone in her family either beat, tortured, or molested her while she was growing up. Okay. Why do you have to murder this dude, though? Correct. You don't. Here's the thing. Sorry to give a shit statistic. Uh, One out of four women are sexually assaulted in their lifetime. And 25% of, of the male population or whatever, the assaulters are not murdered. So. Yes. Fuck you. Especially since it's not fucking true. Yes. You don't know, I guess, if the reports of her family are true. Right. Sure. Right. But, like, when she's like, hey, he sexually assaulted me, and then she goes to get, like, a test, and they're like, actually, no. Yeah. Fuck you. Yes. It was also revealed that Omaima had undergone a female circumcision back in Egypt at the age of seven. Fuck! Yep. While the extent of the procedure varies, Omaima was subjected to the absolute worst kind oh. in which the clitoris, yep, is completely removed. As if that wasn't excruciating enough, the horrifying and agonizing procedure was performed without anesthesia. <gasps> which, when they said that, like, my reaction to watching the Snapped episode was, like – you times like 10 right now. Like I like threw myself back in my chair and like scooted away from the desk. Like I was alone. My hands were up. Oh. I was just like, so the thought of this. I can't imagine. Not that this justifies anything, but like to undergo this at seven and then supposedly your family just like abuses you and treats you like shit and possibly molests you yeah. while you're growing up. You're fucked. Your brain never had a chance to properly form, and you have been literally molded by trauma your whole life, basically. So, like, I'm not justifying it. No, of course. I mean, but context matters for sure. Yes. Um, Fuck. Fuck. And that is awful. And I cannot imagine that. And I cannot imagine going through life, like, literally never getting to have an orgasm ever. That's what? So horrifying and awful i know so that you won't like quote unquote cheat on your husband go fuck yourself yep he can cheat all he wants that's fine that's fine i hate everyone and everything i know it's really that was yes a very upsetting part again not justifying anything but i felt that was pertinent information yeah for sure fuck the surgery left her unable to enjoy sex and permanently scarred both physically and mentally oh A psychiatrist testified that Omaima was suffering from psychosis and PTSD and that her coping mechanism was to live in a fantasy world. She believed that she was descended from ancient Egyptians, and they not only talk through her, but act through her as well. Oh, is this the demon shit? Yep. I see. And that included the night Bill was murdered. Despite there being no evidence that Omaima was raped the night of Bill's murder, she claimed that was his intent that night. And the defense argued it had been a daily part of his relationship with Omaima. According to them, Bill would demand oral sex from Omaima every day and would call her degrading names during the act. Mm. The defense claimed that on the night of the murder, Bill got angry with her because she wasn't doing it right. And as he got angrier and continued to insult her, she just snapped. Which, yes, they totally said during the snapped episode. And I'm not going to lie, I get excited every single time. Like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they said it. They said the name of the show. She snapped. Ah. 
I'm obsessed yeah. with you. <laughs> Sorry, I thought we needed like a moment of yes, levity of levity, absolutely. Yes. Amongst the horrifying information I'm presenting you. Yes. She told the psychiatrist that ancient Egyptians had helped her. The voices in her head had not only told her to murder Bill, but to mutilate his body. Because the ancient Egyptians believed that if your body was scattered, you couldn't go to the afterlife. Mm. Worldhistory.org says, quote, the body had to remain intact in order for the soul to continue its journey, end quote. She wanted to 86 that shit. She literally didn't want to run into him in the afterlife. Like, that's why she did this. She was like, I don't want to deal with that. That's going to be real awkward <laughs> if I die to run into this guy. So uh, if I dismember him, that won't happen. That was literally wow. the reason she dismembered him. Yes. Wow. I know. It's crazy. Although she also reportedly castrated him during the dismemberment, and she said that that was for revenge. Which, yeah. Make up your mind here. Which yeah, one? Figure it out. Pick a thing. During the trial, a psychiatrist also testified that Omaima said she put on red shoes, a red hat, and red lipstick before chopping up and cooking her husband's body. Oh my god. Girl. Okay, brace yourself again. Oh, fuck. Okay. She also said she cooked his ribs in the oven, coated them with barbecue no. sauce. No. No. And tasted no. them. <gasps> saying, quote, it's so sweet. End quote. Yep. Okay. She later denied eating her husband, saying, quote, I swear to God, I did not eat any part of him. I am not a monster. End quote. But she said she did before. But she said she did before, yes. Correct. Who did she say? Did she say this in her confession? Uh, I believe during, like, her psychological evaluation, I believe this was, she said this. So I guess it's technically possible that to get the insanity defense is why she's saying that? Possibly. However, the evidence does show she deep fried his head, so. Yes. And, yeah, his hands. She cooked them with Thanksgiving turkey. As a pairing, apparently. Yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. You gotta I'm use those leftovers, Monique. Doing you can't let them the go to waste. Oh my god. Yeah. Correct. This bitch is crazy. Girl. It's wild. Yep. The prosecution tried to dismiss Omaima's psychological issues and instead painted a picture of Omaima as a cunning and calculated killer. They believed her claims of visions and ancient Egyptians speaking to her was just a cunning attempt at building an insanity defense. Yeah. Like you said. Yep. When called to the stand, Omaima said that her month-long marriage to Bill had been a nightmare. In addition to the sexual abuse she endured, she claimed that Bill threatened to kill her on their road trip to Texas if she didn't do what he said. Knowing he had been to prison, she said she believed him when he said he'd kill her. When asked about what happened the night of Thanksgiving, Omaima said she was fending off a violent sexual attack from Bill. She said he was trying to strangle her when she hit him over the head with a lamp from the bedside table. When the lamp broke, she grabbed the next closest thing, the steam iron sitting nearby. With it, she hit him repeatedly until the handle of that broke. Holy shit. Which, like, fuck, dude. Yeah. As if that wasn't enough, she then grabbed a pair of nearby scissors and continued to stab him. <gasps> Omaima said she doesn't remember anything after that. She has no memory of dismembering Bill and just remembers coming to in the apartment surrounded by all these trash bags filled with body parts, which if that is true is absolutely terrifying. For sure. I cannot imagine. I think it's bullshit, but 
But if it is true. I'm kind of leaning towards that too, but yeah. If that were true, that would be horrifying to be like, I'm cool. And then it's like, what are all these like bloody trash bags? And now I have to fucking deal with this great. She said she was confused and didn't know what to do. Quote, I don't know who I am or what is that person. I'm not related to. I thought she is a stranger. End quote. And again, she, her right, English language, is not yeah. the best. So that's kind of why it sounds a little odd. In an attempt to refute Omima's claims of abuse, the prosecution played a video that was taken during that trip to Texas. It showed Bill and Omima laughing together and having a good time, just acting like two teenagers in love. The prosecution argued that, unfortunately, it's a case of he said, she said, and because of Omima, Bill isn't there to defend himself. After almost a week of deliberation, the jury found Omima Nelson guilty of second-degree murder. Because they couldn't show any evidence of premeditation, there wasn't a case for first-degree murder. Omima was also found guilty of assault with a deadly weapon for the attack on Robert Hansen. She was sentenced to 27 years to life in prison and is serving her sentence at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla. The psychiatrist who examined Omima doesn't believe that she should have gone to prison and believes she's treatable with psychiatric care. Nelson was originally eligible for parole in 2006, but was denied as she was still considered to be, quote, unpredictable and a serious threat to public safety. Facts. Yes. After her first attempt at parole, Omaima got remarried to a 70-year-old man while still in prison. Oh, my God. Yep. The two would share three-day conjugal visits before he eventually, yeah, which he would, like, roll up in his wheelchair, apparently. (gasps) I know. They said that during SNAP. I couldn't get over it. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Uh, He eventually passed away and left her quite a bit of money, I guess. She became eligible for parole again in 2011. Omaima told the parole board she had been a woman who refused to let go of any pain anyone had ever caused her. But quote, now I value my integrity and my journey. I have a strong desire to help others. End quote. Mm. She said she was grateful for the grace of God and her family and if released would return to live with her mother in Egypt. Despite her insistence that she had changed, the board denied her parole request again, claiming that she had not taken responsibility for the murder and would not be a productive citizen if she were freed. Omaima will not be able to seek parole again until 2026. She will be 58 years old. And that is the Bananas McGee story of the Thanksgiving murder of Bill Nelson. Holy fuck girl i know it was it was gruesome it was real gruesome and i like somehow ended up with like a cannibal story again i don't know how this is happening i'll i'll stop (laughs) i'll settle down on the people eating other people i realize it's a lot it's a lot emotionally correct yeah that was amazing though i've never heard of this story really good i was worried because i was like ooh, this is like i feel like this is like kind of a popular story they've had a couple shows on it besides snapped i think like deadly women and something else i mean so i used to love uh spending my sundays just barreling through like 13 hours of snapped and like her picture looks kind of familiar but the details of it i and also like if you're watching 13 hours of snapped it kind of all blends together it blurs together yep yep you'll start like mixing murders and you're like wait right, that wasn't exactly. that detail from that fuck so oh girl i know yeah uh that was amazing and horrifying Holy shit. Horrifying. Yep. Sorry all that shit happened to you growing up, but 
You also don't, don't need to be a trash people. person. Don't murder people. It's, you know. Correct. Don't pay it forward in that way. Yes. Hot take. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Monique. We needed that. Controversial <laughs> opinion. Don't murder people. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope everyone's Thanksgiving is better than that. Because that's not how it's supposed to go. I mean, that's how low the bar is. Yep. If your Thanksgiving you is better than that, you had a pretty bomb-ass Thanksgiving, I'm going to say. There you go. Think of it like that. <laughs> you had to deal with your horrible family, but... You had to answer you what you're doing with your life and why you're not married yet. Awkward questions. You really didn't want to. You had to watch somebody get too drunk and do yeah. a thing that they should have done. family secrets. Oh, that's my favorite part about Thanksgiving! <laughs> I haven't had a family Thanksgiving in so long. I don't have any good family goss anymore, but that used to be the fucking oof. Oof. Thank you so much for that. If, Thank even you. Even though I'm slightly yours. traumatized. Oh, I mean, yeah. It was the, I did this to I myself. Knew. It's a crime time. Yeah. I did it to you, too. You know. I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm so thankful for you, though. And I'm so thankful I'm so that thankful for you. we met and that we're on this, this kooky journey doing this weird show. Fuck yes. I fucking love this. I fucking love this. And I'm so thankful for all of you listening. Without you, this is just the two of us talking our bullshit. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for the last year. It's been so cool and weird and surreal and rewarding. And Fuck yeah. we we look forward to doing this until you tell us to stop. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't follow us already on the gram, you should. You can find us at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me at Pinup Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. Next week, we are doing our True Listener Tales episode. Every sixth episode, we do a True Listener Tales episode where we read the stories that you write us. Uh, it can be, it, we're kind of just doing the full gamut of just like cool, weird, what the fuck shit, alien stories, ghost stories, this kid I went to high school with murdered someone's stories, whatever you got. Good fucking read yeah. We're into it. You can email us at anotherfuckinghorrorpodcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. Guys, happy Thanksgiving. We're so fucking thankful for you. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.